Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. All right, so welcome back. This is Lesson 2 in the Foundations of the Faith class, and we're going to be talking about repentance. So our key verse here is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. This is, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ, and let's move forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So we're going to dive deep into that. Before we could do that, we really need to solidify what repentance is not, what repentance is not. First, it's not being sorry. Now, being sorry is a feeling and an emotion, but it, isn't, it doesn't guarantee any form of change. It doesn't mean the person really thinks differently. Um, it kind of reminds me of when we were young, when we did something wrong and our teachers or our parents would say, sorry, uh, tell the other person to say, sorry. And what would we do? We would say, sorry. And of course, we wouldn't mean it from the heart. Uh, but there's also a case of being sorry for something for multiple different motivations, right? So we could be sorry because we got caught. We could be sorry because of the pain that it brought to us and the consequences. But uh, being sorry alone is not what repentance really is. Second, it's not a promise to change, right? We've heard... Uh, People that have done us wrong in some way and they've asked for forgiveness, right? And they promised to change. Now, I think change in general is part of the idea of repentance, but making a promise to change or even feeling some sort of sorry that you got caught or the consequences and then moving on to promising to change is not real repentance in itself or by itself. And we know that a promise is what it's pretty much good for nothing. Like, so if someone says they're going to change, we wait to, to see their actions, to see the fruit of it. Um, that is actually what is the real deal. So it's not a promise to change confession. Now this is a really popular one. We think that because we come clean about something, right? We come clean about something and therefore this is, um, some sort of repentance. Now, um, by itself, once again, it's not it's not sufficient. Um, you can confess, you can come clean, you can even feel remorse, you can uh, promise to change and all those things and not have real repentance. Number four is it's not reformation only. So you may have had this. For example, um, a person get disciplined at work and get a write-up, right? And so they get a certain write-up and, and it creates this behavior modification where they don't do the same behavior um, again. And so they correct the behavior, but inside they still want to do it. Inside of their heart, they still want to do the same thing that they did. They just don't for fear of punishment, or for fear of losing their job. And this is not real genuine change, though it is beneficial um, for behavior modification. It's not, uh, doesn't affect the heart and, and produce genuine change. So not reformation only. 
walking down an altar. Now, this is very popular in charismatic circles and evangelical circles is that repentance correlates to receiving Christ. And, and when the pastor says a certain message uh, and he gives what, what is called an altar call, uh, a call to come down to the altar and receive Christ, that somehow this is all correlated to repentance. But it's crazy thing is that you can feel sorry, you can confess, you can promise to change, you can walk down an altar and still not have the genuine thing. It's the truth. And lastly, repentance is not a one-time event. And we're going to dive deep into this a little um, throughout this lesson here. But I'll just touch on it just for a second, is that it's a lifestyle. Repentance is a lifestyle. And it's not something that happens once, uh, some event, some church event, some uh, whatever kind of event, and that that's all that's needed. And lastly, this is not even on my notes, but it's not penance. Penance is a form of suffering. That is, if you suffer long enough, therefore, you have achieved repentance. But if that was the case, then Christ didn't need to die. He didn't need to suffer in our place. So we got to understand that the idea of penance is not um, real repentance. There's multiple examples in the Bible, and I'll just touch on a couple of where it seemed like the people had repentance, but they really didn't. And one of them is Judas. We all know Judas. He's famous, right? Um, yeah, he left a legacy of failure, a legacy of pain, and his name has been written forever inside the scriptures as the backstabber, the betrayer. And what I want to point out there is like our legacy matters. You know, what our name is attached to, like forever, everybody's going to read the Bible and there's certain names that are in there that have a legacy of pain, a legacy of not yielding to, to God and then receiving the consequence of it. And it has went down in history and they'll forever be remembered. That's to drive home the idea inside of us. What kind of legacy do we want to leave? What what kind of words do we want our name att attached to after we're gone? So we know the story of Judas, that he was a lover of money and he was the treasurer inside the discipleship. And uh, he he held the bag, as the, uh, one of the writers of the gospel said. And one, one of the times they were complaining about money and this, that, and the other thing. And he says, man, that all that money could have went to the poor. And the disciple who wrote the gospel said, not that he was concerned about the poor. It was because he was dipping into the money bag. <laughs> and so Judas has this legacy of, you know, dipping into the to the funds and taking, you know, whatever he wanted. And so the scripture says that, um, that Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to death. Now, I don't think he, he thoroughly thought through his, his backstabbing or his betrayal, but, uh, he, the Bible says that he repented of his part in betraying Christ. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, went and saw that he was condemned. He repents himself and he brought the money back. Okay. So he's seen what he did. 
he brought the money back to the chief priests and elders. And he said, I have sinned and I have betrayed innocent blood. And many people will look at that and say, well, you know, that's what repentance is. Like he, he seen what he did. It brought him a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And then he went and gave the money back. And he, he even confessed that he sinned and even said that he betrayed innocent blood. So he was fully aware of the consequences, the pain and everything that happened. And then he went out and hung himself. And so you see, it had all the marks of what people call repentance, right? If like this was modern day, he would, you know, he would come down the altar and uh, he would say that, uh, you know, that he has sinned and that he betrayed God and he would weep and he'd offer to give the money back and would say, woo, that's this, this guy is good to go. This is good to go. But uh, it's a false sense of repentance because Judas went out and hung himself. So repentance is more than what was going on in Judas's life. The second example is Esau. Um, if you're familiar with the Old Testament records, Esau is the one who sold his birthright. Now, Esau was the elder brother, so he had every right to, um, to his birthright. But but his brother came to him uh, and Esau was in a moment of need and he was starving and his brother said, uh, sell me your birthright. And so Esau forever went down in history as somebody who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And you can uh, you can read a little bit about that, of course, in the uh, in the book of Genesis. But in Hebrews 12, 7, it says Esau exchanges birthright. For a bowl of soup. And we're like, man, what's up with this dude, right? He's going he's gonna to sell out. And this is what uh, Esau uh, forever went down in history as a sellout, right? He was willing to sell out his God-given authority and rights and privileges and everything that was his for what? For a bowl of soup. And we were like, oh, man, like I would never do that. But we do the same thing. We sell out our birthright for, for addictions and, and we give up on the destiny that, that God has for us because we've experienced some pain or some frustrations and we want to just let go and, and give it all up. So the Bible says that he, um, he was sorrowful, right? He exchanged his birthright for a bowl of soup, and in so doing, he rejected all the blessings and promises associated with his birthright. And listen to this. You know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And so crying, feeling sorry, and all of those things. And even though there was a great pain and tears just flowed, flowed out of him, right? It wasn't genuine and it wasn't real. 
So let's talk about belief systems first, because the the way to really understand this idea of repentance is to understand beliefs. So here's the reality, and that is if you change the belief first, the behavior is a lot easier to change. Every behavior that flows throughout our life springs from a thought, a belief, a paradigm, and a mindset. And what we have today is a lot of reformation on people's behavior. They're they're changing their behavior um, through behavior modifications and, and different stuff like that, but they're not changing their heart and their mindset from which all these things spring from. And so they have all these external things to help them, uh, to help modify their behavior and keep them in line. But it would be far greater if they would change their heart and change the way that they think and believe in their mindset so they could produce better actions. And so effortless change or change that comes more automatically without struggling, without a lot of pain comes from when we change our mindset and our beliefs. You know, there's an old adage in the Bible that as a man thinketh, so he is. And so it's our mindsets and our beliefs that determine our behavior. And so if we want to attack the root of the tree, then that is attacking the belief that is underneath the surface. Every action is connected to a paradigm mindset and belief system and or a conditioning that we have experienced. And so we get frustrated because our behavior is causing us a lot of pain. And so we try to change our behavior without understanding the lies that are attached to that behavior. Mm. So I read this article on how they train baby elephants in the circus. And one thing they do is, is they tie a chain around the, the elephant's leg and that, and what they're trying to do is to condition the elephant for captivity. And so within this chain are spikes. So when the baby elephant begins to pull, the spike digs into its skin and it experiences extreme discomfort and a lot of pain. So the baby elephant continues to try this and continually gets the same results, which is pain. And so it trains the mind that I can only go a certain distance and I can only go so far until I experience the pain. And so the baby elephant learns that resistance is futile, that that this thing is not worth resisting because it causes me a lot of pain. But what's crazy thing is that the elephant grows, right? It becomes mature, so mature that it becomes a 13,000 pound beast. I mean, that can easily break free. That can easily step out of the bounds of the conditioning that it had. But it has been programmed and it has been conditioned by the pain to not seek freedom. And it's because of the trauma and it's because of the pain. And begin to think about our lives and the conditioning that we received. 
and all the lies that we have adopted in the mindsets and the belief systems. And we have been conditioned. And what I mean by that is we have been programmed. We have been programmed to fail. We've been programmed to live in fear. We've been programmed to stress out. We've been programmed to seek out sedations and comforts and addictions and all of those things. We have been programmed to do those things. And so the only thing that's going to help us is to change our mind, change our belief systems, and change our mindsets. This is the only way to be free. And once we begin to do that, then radical change will begin to happen. Let me tell you a quick story about myself. I was raised with a, a parents that were addicted to heroin and sold drugs. Uh, we had five kids in the house. My stepfather had uh, PTSD and he was diagnosed schizophrenic. And my mother was diagnosed schizophrenic also. And so they lived off the system of welfare and food stamps and then sold drugs on the side. And our house was a drug house filled with chaos and pain, domestic violence, abuse, I don't feel like going into a bunch of detail in this course right now, but maybe someday I will. But there was a lot of pain and a lot of abuse and a lot of neglect. So much so that the government stepped in uh, when I was 10 years old and took us all away. And all of us got distributed to different uh, family members. And so here I am, 13, 12, and 13, coming out of that system of abuse and not knowing how to cope. I was experiencing PTSD. I had night terrors and multiple situations where I dreamed of things of the past and they seemed like a reality. And And I would uh, wake up in different locations where I'd be uh, walking down the street and just, you know, all this this trauma that came from growing up in the place that I did. So I had a lot of things wrong with me. And I had a lot of belief system, I had a lot of conditioning and mindsets. You know, one of the first one was that I was a piece of crap. You know, every single day you told that you're a piece of crap and that you'll never amount to nothing and you're neglected and you're abused and all of these things, right? And then so it was thoroughly drilled into me that I was worth nothing and that I was a piece of crap. And so the belief system is the conditioning. Repentance is seeing the truth. And it's usually seeing the opposite. So the belief system here is that I was a piece of crap. The opposite of belief system is I have great worth and value. So repentance would be seeing the truth and deciding to change my mind according to the truth. That would be real repentance. Now, I wouldn't have to cry to achieve this. I wouldn't have to feel sorry. I wouldn't have to do none of those things. All I'd have to do is change my mind about a current thought and idea and then begin to walk it out. Another one is I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't do anything right. And I begin to ask myself, is that true 100% of the time? Do I, can I never really do anything right? 
No, that's the conditioning of someone who said, you know what? You can never do nothing right. And no matter what I said or what I did, I was never good enough. And so repentance, once again, is looking at that idea and that thought and saying, is this thought true? Is it true 100% of the time? Is it based on fact and reality? No, it's not. So I'm going to begin to shift my mindset, my belief system. I'm going to begin to repent. And that word repent is just simply two words. The first word is uh, for metamorphosis is meta, and it means to change. And the next word is for mind, change mind, change your mind. What about my parents didn't love me or I wasn't wanted? Another thought and belief system I had is that cops were bad, right? Every time the cops came, they were always too late. We already been abused. There's already domestic violence. There was already murders that took place in our house. These things already took place and they're showing up. And or they showed up and they took my my mom, you know, to jail for the weekend or something. And so I had this thought and idea that cops were bad. Now, repentance is looking at the truth. Are, co are all cops bad? No. Are most cops bad? No. Then a thought and a mind shift begin to happen and a belief system begin to change and repentance happened. Now, I can go on and on and on um, with this, but I'm not going to for time's sake, but I'll, I'll say two more ones. And first, drugs were good. Like you look in the house, everybody does drugs and, and when they're really high, they're, you know, they're just in the zone, nodding off and just like in this euphoric state and, and just getting used to the druggies around the house. Drugs are good. Well, repentance is looking at the facts are drugs really good. Like look at what it's doing to their lives and to their bodies and to their livers and, and to their children and to their legacy. It's destroying it, right? And so repentance happened. Lastly, you know, men hit their wives. Like when you've grown up and seen nothing but men, you know, hitting their wives and, and your mom getting abused. And it's like, this is the way all men behave. If you're angry, you lash out in violence, you hit people. And um, so you understand that when you come from an environment of conditioning and programming, that you're going to have to go through extreme reprogramming. And so when it comes to God and when it comes to faith, we have this conditioning. We have this conditioning that, um, that religion is for weak people, that Jesus is a crutch, that, uh, that faith is for the fanatical, that, uh, I wouldn't go to church because all they do is molest people, um, that God is not real, um, that he's not there to listen. And so we have all this conditioning and all these belief systems that relate to faith and to God. And real repentance is to change your mind concerning that. So you have a certain belief system that God isn't real or that God doesn't listen. And you begin to examine that. And then a moment of reaching out to him, you discover the opposite and it begins to challenge the very core of your mindset that says, God is here. God is listening to me now.
So obviously my previous mindset is not congruent with what is reality and what is actually taking place. Therefore, I'm going to change my mind and believe this new mindset. And that is really what repentance is all about. So faith, many people that uh, is God real. He's not there to help. Uh, faith is not very important. And we have all these belief systems around that. Are we going to repent, change our mind and believe according to the truth that faith is really important, that people with faith lead dynamic lives and they have a sense of passion and purpose. Next one is family. Drugs are normal. Violences are normal. Every home's like this. Like if your dad worked 16 hours a day, then you got this conditioning of working hard and, and that you're going to have to work 16 hours a day to provide for your family. You can have fitness conditionings where uh, bad hygiene is normal. Poor eating habits are normal. Um, there's certain genetic factors that go into being overweight and, you know, and that's normal. And just believing and accepting the conditioning or are we going to believe and accept the truth? And another one, of course, is finances. If we live in poverty, we live on welfare, you know, uh, in the system or the idea that three hots in a cot and that is, you know, three meals in a bed is just fine for you. You don't have any sort of ambition in life. So all of these things can affect us. And that's why I say repentance is a process. Because here's the reality. There's one, there's no one event that's going to take all those away. We have so much things going on inside of our subconscious mind and our belief systems that we don't even, we're not even aware of. We don't even know the full depths of what is going on. And so it's going to take time. It's going to take a process of repentance, of changing your mind. And this is why the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to ask me how to live a transformed life, how to a life that's filled with power and legacy and is bringing about powerful change, I would tell you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that transformation that we desire, the change that we desire, it's all wrapped up in mind renewal and changing our mind, what real repentance is. And so we have this belief system that we've been given, and I understand it. Uh, it's been propagated and it's highly religious and that if you come to an altar, if you cry, if you do this and that and the other thing, and you show how sorry you are, that somehow you're going to live a changed life. And this is just not reality. Changed life comes through mind renewal and beginning the process of repentance. So there's a cycle of negative beliefs. And that is you have an event and an experience, and it communicates something negative to you. For example, me being raised in that traumatic environment and, and experiencing all that pain communicated to me that the world was unsafe. It communicated to me that my parents didn't love me. It, com it communicated to me that so many things that drugs were normal, right? 
And what begins to happen is you be, you begin to believe what that event communicated to you. And so for me, it was like, okay, my parents don't let me. I experienced the trauma, the event, my parents don't love me. Or abuse is okay. Drugs are okay. Poverty is okay. Whatever condition you believe you want to want to add in there, that's what takes place. You begin to believe what that event communicated to you. And then your choices and your decisions are governed by that subconscious belief. And we don't even begin to know and understand why our life is chaotic, why our life is filled with pain and why we're so frustrated all the time. It's because subconsciously we've been programmed to believe a certain way. And then this begins to ex, uh, um, this begins to manifest in our daily life in consequences. In what? Poverty, drug abuse, jail time, an overall dissatisfaction, an unfulfilled life, sedations and addictions and pornography and shopping and all these things, right? We ex begin to experience the consequences of it. So what that, what does that look like? You know, if you had a person tell you over and over again that you were worthless and you can do anything right, you choose to believe that lie that you can't do anything right. So then that belief solidifies inside you and you begin to make choices and decisions because of that belief. And that belief begins to affect your quality of life. So this is the process. And this is the cycle of pain that we find ourselves in until we grab a hold of the real idea of repentance and begin to change our minds. You see, the cycle of empowering belief works the same way. And that is, so you have an event, you have a negative experience, you have these, these things that happen to you, right? And you start hearing the lies. But the difference is you decide not to believe them. In actuality, you confront them and you challenge them. And you say, you know what? I refuse to accept what this event is communicating unto me. And then all of a sudden, you begin to believe the opposite of what that event communicated, which is extremely positive. And then you have these subconscious powerful belief systems. And that begins to affect what you experience in your daily life and you begin to live in a powerful way and fashion. So what does that look like? If you had a person tell you over and over again that you can do anything right, you chose not to believe the lie. You begin to look at your life and see the reality that you do many things right. So that belief leads to a positive mindset, and this begins to affect your decisions and your quality of life begins to improve because you are willing to confront the lie. So the first step in all this is, am I willing to identify the lie? Am I willing to identify the lie? We are talking about repentance and changing your mind. Are you willing to identify the lie? The second step is, am, am I going to examine and question this? Let's begin to ask yourself questions surrounding this lie. Like, is it true? 
And then the third step is to tear down the mental evidence that supports the lie. And that can go something like this. Really? Can I not do anything right? Really? And begin to look at your life and see all the things that you have done right. And we go, you know what? I have done a lot of things right. So I need to change my mind, which correlates to repent. To this old thought and idea, this lie, to a new thought and idea that says the opposite. And lastly, you cut through all the lies and you make a conscious decision of what you really want to believe. You see, we have so many beliefs that are just not serving us. They are not bringing the results that we want. And we're wondering why our life is so chaotic. Because we're unwilling to challenge the lies. Repentance, once again, is to think differently about a situation when it comes to faith and to God. It's to think differently about everything related to faith. It is to switch to a different mindset. It is to gain a new perspective and a viewpoint. And it is have a paradigm shift. This is where you once thought one thing was true, and then you gained a new perspective and a new mindset and seen something from a different angle. And you had a shift in your thinking. The second meaning of this word repent is to reconsider. And that is you have a firmly held belief and a mindset, but because of certain evidence, because of certain experiences, you are going to reconsider. And this is going to reverse your decision. I once decided that I want nothing to do with God. Right. And then I had an experience where things begin to change and I had a reversal of decision. I reconsidered my firmly held belief and decided to go a different direction. And this is changing your previous choice. That is, I once thought that the Bible was useless. I once thought that prayer was vain. I once thought that uh, church was not needed. I once thought that faith was not important. But I changed my mind. Lastly, it is a reformation. And that is you're going to put it into the former belief system because you're going to begin to walk inside the new. So what does real repentance look like? In Acts 26, 20, it says that they should repent, turn to God, and do for do works fitting repentance. So let's, let's list out three things. Repent. That is to change your mind. And the second was to turn to God. And the third was to do works fitting repentance. So what is amazing about this word is that in the Old Testament, it was simply meant to turn. And that is, if you heard the voice of God behind you, you would turn towards the voice and to begin to follow the voice. And what would happen is as you turned to something, 
you would turn away from something. And so a lot of times we are in the struggle, we're in this pain, we're like, I just want to repent of my sins. I just want to repent of this, that, and the other thing of so many things that, that backs Christian men out there, their, their alcohol or their pornography or whatever it is that they're, that they're facing is that they focus so much on trying to turn away from that. But when you hear his voice, when you begin to seek him, you begin to turn and face him. And what automatically begins to happen is you begin to turn away from those other things. And it's not becoming a struggle any longer. Why? Because I'm turning and facing a different direction. So what's crazy about this is that, so the writer in Hebrews in 6.1 says, we're to repent from dead works. So we need to dive into exactly what this means. And I will do that by giving um, the Apostle Paul as the example. So he begins to list his pedigree in one of the scriptures. He's talking about he was a Pharisee of Pharisee and blameless and kept the law perfect. And he, and he goes into this uh, amazing detail of his self-righteousness and how good he was and all of those things. But he had to come to the point of hearing Jesus and following his voice. And he come to the conclusion that he he counts everything, all of his self-righteousness, all his his pedigree and and uh, you know everything as dung, as trash, as crap. So he can pursue Christ. And so repentance with Paul was to let go of his dead works. And that is thinking that that all of these things that he was doing was going to save him. So he had to change his mind in regards to works as the ability to save him. He had to change his mind about what made him righteous, that what made him acceptable and what made him approved before God. And we have to come to the same conclusion ourselves. You see, good works and dead works, they're the same. They're the same thing. We think dead works is, you know, like fornicating or drinking and partying or witchcraft or whatever it is, right? But dead works and good works, they're all the same. They're just different motivations. And that is studying, praying, going to church, uh, a holy life, living discipline, avoiding whatever. They're all the same. Now, here's the only difference is that one does it out of religiosity and trying to gain the approval and the acceptance of God, and thereby it becomes a dead work because it has the wrong motivation. You see, it's not just what you do. It's the motive behind what you do. See, everybody studies their holy book. Everybody does some sort of prayer and and uh, everybody does some sort of uh, attending religious services and all those things. But those things don't make you righteous. Now, if we do those things to try to become righteous, then it's a dead work. If we do those things to try to get God to love us, then it's a dead work. If we're praying because that's that's simply what God wants, and, and I won't be accepted by him if I don't, then it's a dead work. 
And so one of the biggest things we have to repent of is the ability or to change our mind about is the ability of dead works or religious service and all these things to bring about happiness and results. You see, on the flip side, if you understand that uh, the acceptance and love of God is present there and you're a child of the king, and then you begin to do all those things from a grateful heart, a heart that is happy, a heart that knows that they are accepted, then that becomes a good work. But motivation and belief system and heart behind it is paramount. Uh, as we know with Peter that uh, um, he was self-righteous and self-assured and self-confident. And uh, Jesus told him that uh, before the rooster crows, I believe it was, uh, in the morning that uh, he would have already denied him three times. And so Peter responds and goes, no, 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 no. You got me confused with somebody else because that is not going to happen. And then, of course, it happens just like Jesus said, and uh, he begins to weep bitterly. And this is a transformation that begins to take place in Peter that, that takes place over probably the next couple of days or week. But an amazing transformation begins to happen where he was once the disciple that denied Jesus and, and cursed God and said, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about, right? To the point of just cursing God. And then he becomes the man that his very shadow heals people as they walk by. Now, this is an amazing transformation that began to happen in Peter, and it happened because of repentance. Because after the, after the denial, he changed his mind. And he changed his mind about a certain powerful core belief system, and that is that he thought he could do it all by himself. And that he was self-confident and self-reliant. But the mind shift, his mindset began to shift and he became God-confident. And God began to work in and through him. And amazing things began to happen because of this mindset and belief system change. <laughs>